you know, all week I've had a stirring in my heart that I haven't been able to deny. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And if you've been with us, you would know that we've discussed what the kingdom of God looks like. And I want to finish that series today. And the first three weeks, we unpack Matthew 5, where Jesus kind of highlights that he's here to fulfill the law. He's not here to abolish the things gone before, but he's actually come to fulfill it. And that brings us to a place of actually, how do we respond to God's word? How do we respond to Jesus? And Jesus brings about massive challenge. In the first week, we talked about anger and unforgiveness and how Jesus is like, hey, it's like murder. You need to go figure it out. The second week, we talked about, hey, you know, when it comes to the issues of the heart, when it comes to holiness and lust and, and, and actually not dealing with that stuff, it'll actually kill you. It'll destroy you. It'll burn if you don't deal with this stuff. Holiness. Last week, I know Josiah, I heard his podcast. You can go listen to that. Great job. Um, last week, he talked about how, you know, when it comes to following Jesus, it takes us to the extra mile. We have to go above and beyond, you know, this expectation that Jesus is like, yeah, you can do just enough, but if you want to follow me, it's going to require more. It's going to require more to see the kingdom of God come. You know, we see in Mark 1.14, it says this, that after John the Baptist was arrested, this guy in the desert who's baptizing people into this new idea of God, he gets arrested and it says, Jesus went on to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus picked up his mantle and kept going. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. <clears throat> I got to say this. When I hear the words repent, I often don't connect it with good news. Like if you think about that, saying sorry doesn't normally connect with good things. Last week, I got to spend some time with my nephew down in Exeter, New South Wales with Beck. And let's just say on a regular basis, his mom was saying, Max, say sorry or you'll get it. He's four. He has a little brother who's only two months old, and he is a terrorist around him. And so, you know, it's a constant, say sorry, stop doing that, repent, say sorry. And it doesn't feel like good news. It doesn't feel like this message that Jesus was bringing was good news. Was it good news? How can this be good news? And I want to talk about this because, you know, when it comes down to it, the good news was God's love that was stretched out for all mankind. You see, up until this point, the idea of God's love for the Jewish people was just for them. It was just for them. Up until that point, the Jewish people believed that God only loved them, that they were the chosen people. There was no one else. And they had a special advantage. And they did until this time, until, you know, Jesus comes along and he starts to preach about a kingdom that is all-inclusive. And it messes with their thought process. And I want to unpack this because I want you to understand that Jesus is king. He has started a kingdom and you're invited in. You are invited in. Today, I actually want to go back to the very beginning when Jesus, he, he's just been baptized in the desert. He gets called out. I think Josiah mentioned in his message, he goes and gets tempted by the devil in the desert. He overcomes the devil. He comes back. And then he is just anointed and he starts going around to the synagogues, these little churches around the region. And he starts declaring this good news. And people are starting to hear about him. It says this in Luke 4, 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This is after he's been tempted. And a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country. Can you imagine 
Everyone's talking. A few kilometers away, this guy, Jesus, he's starting to talk about some stuff we don't know. John's in jail. And it says, he was being glorified by all. Everyone was, just couldn't get enough of this Jesus guy. But then Jesus returns to his hometown in Nazareth. Goes where he was growing up. And in verse 18, it says this, He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and un- unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. And he starts to say this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover the sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. This moment is an incredibly powerful moment. Incredibly powerful. You've got to understand the synagogue. Every week they would go to the synagogue. Different families would go to this little, little tiny little church. They would sit in and they would get given scriptures. And who has a Bible app on their phone? Who has a Bible app on their phone, right? Who reads that every day? Like, oh, give me something, God. You know, like, you know, and you get this little thing. Well, in a sense, this is what was going on. Because the Torah, the first five chapters of our Bible, is what they would read on a regular basis. They would go to the synagogue and they would read a little part to remind them of God's goodness. And so here Jesus is. He doesn't choose the scripture. He just rocks up and they give him that passage for that time. And it says he sits down. He just sits down. All of a sudden they're amazed. He says, I've just done this. I've just fulfilled this today. This scripture has been fulfilled. This is an incredibly powerful moment. No one's actually surprised, though, that he read that scripture. That wasn't the amazing moment, okay? Just so you know, that wasn't the amazing moment. Because we have to think, oh, maybe because the power of that scripture. It wasn't the amazing moment. The amazing moment was where he sat. In the synagogue, there was a thing called the chair of Moses. And after someone would read, when it says he sat down, it was known that whoever read the scripture of the day, if they wanted to discuss with authority, they would sit in the seat of Moses. So when he sat in the seat of Moses, everyone went... Okay, you've just claimed to be God. You've just claimed to be God. And that's what got them really angry. Really, really angry. He drops a bomb on these people. He has just claimed he is the Messiah. And as you can imagine, these people are like, didn't you just grow up in this little town? Nazareth is a tiny place. Being there, It's tiny. And they're saying, we know your dad. He's a carpenter. We saw you grow up. How can you claim you're the Messiah? Like, this is blasphemy. This is, you cannot do this. And they start to question his authority. And Jesus throws back a statement in this moment. In Luke 4, 23, he says this, No doubt you will qu- uh, quote the proverb to me, Doctor, heal yourself. <clears throat> what we've heard took place in Capernaum. Do here in our hometown also, in your hometown also. So what they're saying is, hey, we've heard down the road you're doing those healings. If that's the case. Do it for us as well. And he knows this. And I want to read a passage directly after. Because this is where it gets real for us to understand. This is the good news for you and I. Okay? This is the really good news for you and I here in Australia today for the message of Jesus. Because he gives us a glimpse of the kingdom. Because they have 
a real issue with Jesus saying he's the Messiah because they can't understand that he could actually be the one that's going to overrule the Roman Empire, remember? Because he's talking about this new kingdom. He's infuriating the Jewish people. He says this in Luke 4.24. Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And it says, when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. Before I unpack this scripture, has anyone ever been in a place where you shouldn't be? You found yourself in a place where you know you're not supposed to be, but you're kind of enjoying it anyway. Anyone ever been in that kind of situation? Like, how do we get here? Or maybe before we even go there, has anyone ever not been in a place you wanted to be? You never got picked on that football team, right? You're the last person. Who's ever been the last person picked in a football team? Just me? Every time. My brother was always first and I was always last. And I always got dumped with my brother, right? You can have your bro. So sometimes we don't get in and then other times we get in when we're not supposed to, all right? And what I want to talk about today is how Jesus is actually highlighting this issue to these people. I remember a few years ago, um, I found myself in a place I shouldn't have been, but I enjoyed every moment, every moment. My background was radio announcing, and on this certain day, uh, I got a call up and said, hey, as the GC600, the motor racing thing's going on at the Gold Coast, you've got a media pass, free tickets. And I'm like, sick, I don't even like motorsport, but free tickets, Right. And so I'm really excited about this. And I tell Beck, it was our first year of marriage. And I'm like, we're going to the motorsport. She's like, great, it's free. And uh, we invited another friend of ours, Katie. And we went to this, you know, event. And I rocked up to the media tent. And I said, I'm Az from the radio station. Great. They gave me our passes. And I said to this lady, where can we go? And this lady looked at me and goes, wherever you want. Have a great day. And I heard, wherever you want. Now, I didn't know. Like, I was just innocent. I said to Beck, let's see where these bad boys can take us. <laughs> so we had our lanyards on. We walked around, and we were walking around, the, you know, sort of where all the plebs were. <laughs> that was very boring. And then there was the VIP tent. I said to Beck, let's see if we can get in. We've got our, we've got our lanyard. <laughs> so we walked up to the security guard, and I said, uh, just want to head in. He goes, looks at our lanyard, he goes, mate, where can these go? I said, I know, a lady said we could go anywhere. He goes, all right, come in. So we walk in, we go up the stairs, and then we find ourselves on the start line of the track. Like, it is the most exclusive spot. There's politicians in this room. There's, like, DJs, musos. Like, every, you're like, oh, it's a famous person, right? <laughs> there, was free, there was free ribeye, steak, <coughs> prawns, endless drinks. And I, I was just, like, looking at Beck going, we've hit the jackpot. Like, we had, we had the best day for about three hours. We were on the start line watch. It was like, this is what motorsport's all about, right? Until she rocked up. The event organizer rocks up. She's talking and she, we actually saw her talking to the security guard and he points at us. <laughs> she walks over and she goes, as Hamilton? Okay, yeah. She goes, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> and I'm like, but you said, give me those. And we got kicked out. <laughs> Right? Like, we got kicked out. 
I mean, up until that moment, it was the best. I mean, up until that moment, she said, you're not meant to be here. We were having the best time, right? After that, we got kicked out. We walked around with the others for a moment and went, let's, let's just go. We've had our steak. Thanks for the steak and the prawns, right? We weren't supposed to be there. And when Jesus drops this story, he is enraging the Jewish people because the two examples Jesus drops, they're not supposed to get God's blessing. And they know the stories and it doesn't fit in with their understanding of who God is. So Jesus, in his first ever moment of preaching, pretty much says, you're not the only ones I've come after. If you've never read this story, I want to open to the story of the Lady of Sidon. 1 Kings 17 verse 8. There's a lot of scriptures today, so I encourage you to go home and read them yourself because you'll get so much out of this. This is actually a story that they all knew about. This woman, there was a drought for three years, six months, everyone was dying. And it says this, the word of the Lord came to him. This is Elijah. Get up, go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman who was a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. And she went to get it. He called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a jug just now. I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go and prepare it for myself and my son so he can eat and die. Then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Can you imagine this? You've got a son. You've got your last meal. And some guy rocks up and says, give it to me. What would you do? I'd probably say, no. Like, I've figured out my last day. I've had torment for the last three and a half years. This is the final straw. I am down and out. And some guy says, go and give it to me. He says this, though. He says, afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. By the way, this is not their God. So she's not even sure. The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. She has faith. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty. The oil jug did not run dry according to the word of the Lord he had spoken through Elijah. God brings salvation to someone unworthy of God's blessing. Not a Jew, not a believer in the Jewish God, but God has mercy on her. Understand at that time, Jesus is saying, don't you understand there were a bunch of widows in that time? They were Jewish, but God sent Elijah to the woman of Sidon. How interesting. How interesting. These were not the candidates for a miracle in Jewish understanding. God only loves us. We're the chosen people. And then the story he brings up next is about a leper. 
called Naaman. He's a Syrian, the enemy of the Jews. He's someone that's the opposite to what they want to be. And I'm not going to read the whole thing today, but if you go and find it in 1 Kings 5, 1 to 27, you can read the story of God intervening in a Syrian man's life. He has a skin disease, which is healed through the prophet Elisha. The drastic healing that he gets causes him to come to a place where he literally says in verse 15 of 1 Kings 5, he says, then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God because he's just been healed. And he says, he stood before him and declared, I know there's no God in the world except in Israel. He tries to pay off Elisha. He's like, what can I do to pay you? I was in this torment. Now I've been healed by your God. What can I do to pay you? And Elisha says, you can give me nothing. And as a result, Naaman changes his entire life around. He says, from now on, I'm going to follow your God. He has a moment of repentance, turns around and says, from now on, my life will be different because of the miracle that's happened. (laughs) Once again, Jesus is highlighting God's mercy for all mankind. Two incredible stories of God's love and mercy. Jesus draws attention to them right at the beginning of his ministry. He highlights to the Jewish rabbis of the time in Nazareth that this new kingdom wasn't an exclusive club. Everyone who wanted access could gain it. The kingdom of God, what is it like? Well, there's no place for clicks and exclusivity. All who wanted to come with a heart of repentance and chose to follow Jesus' teaching were in. You get the VIP. You get the blessing. No matter what your background, that's the kingdom of God. Think about it. Jesus, everything he did, he tried to draw attention to the fact that he would use people that weren't even supposed to get on to build his kingdom. His 12 disciples, it didn't make sense. He chose fishermen, a tax collector, and a zealot, all to be best friends. The fishermen would have hated the tax collector because they were paying him. And then you've got a zealot who was all about overthrowing the Roman Empire. And Jesus chooses them. I don't know about you, if I'm starting a new organization and I'm going to employ people, I find people with the same like mind. I don't go, how about I find 10 people that are going to hate each other, 12 people that are going to hate each other and start something great. The HR department would just be like, why? You know these people are different. What is wrong with you? But that's not how Jesus does things. It's not how Jesus does things. Jesus' disciples shouldn't have gone on, but Jesus wanted to break down all the stereotypes. He wanted to destroy identity politics. He wants, to dro- he wants all these men to drop their fishing nets and their opinions for something so much greater, the kingdom of God. These men weren't extraordinary. He used very ordinary people to do extraordinary things, to build this kingdom. In fact, Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 28. It says, instead, because we sometimes think that these were amazing men. No, they had all their faults. You're in good company if you feel like I'm not good enough. Jesus chose you and I as well. But it says this in 1 Corinthians 27 to 28. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring nothing, what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in His presence. God deliberately uses inferior tools to build His kingdom so that all the beauty He creates will be attributed to Him, not the cleverness of man. What's the kingdom of God like? Well, in Matthew 13, 31 to 32, we hear this parable that Jesus gives really early on in the piece. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of the seeds, but when it's grown, it's taller than the, gr- the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Jesus explains to his followers that the kingdom of God is like what it's like. It's going to start small. It's going to start small, but when I'm done, it's going to be the greatest among all. He started with 12, 2,000 years ago. 12 men, the first stage. 12 men that saw him die on a cross. They all went and fled because of their fear for their own lives, but then they saw Jesus alive again, the resurrection. And it changed them. It gave them an authority and a power. And all of a sudden, this kingdom started to grow because they knew that they knew that they knew Jesus was who he said he was. He was the new king. And they started to establish a kingdom, an undeniable kingdom, the first stage. This is the good news. Through Jesus, you and I are now part of the kingdom, the kingdom on earth. We get access to everything the king has to offer, everything. In fact, when you choose Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I want to be one of your disciples, I want to follow you, you leave everything behind, you start following his teaching, and it says in the scripture, we become sons and daughters, sons of God, Galatians 3, 26 to 29, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized in Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew or Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise, his promise. The good news of the kingdom of God as we wrap up this series, what it looks like. You know what the kingdom of God looks like? You and I. The kingdom of God looks like you and I. Followers of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said it's going to start like a mustard seed. It's going to start small. He used 12 rejects to start a kingdom. 2,000 years on, I want you to know that there's 2.382 billion Christians globally, followers of Jesus. The largest faith in the world continues to grow, continues to go. Over 30% of the whole globe's population has a connection to Jesus Christ. The kingdom is still being established today on earth. It's God's kingdom. But I want us to know, in God's kingdom, there aren't class constructs and identity politics. Like Paul briefly mentioned in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, no, no female or female. There are no great divides. Let's add to this right now. I want you to understand this. If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, there are no poor, there are no rich, there are no white, there are no black. There is no old, there are no young. There are no political lines left or right. Some of you right now might be saying, yeah, but what about 
you know, good and evil and all of this sort of thing. We talked about in the last three weeks the way we'll know that we are in the kingdom by the way we live out a righteous life. Sin is the thing that stops us getting in the kingdom, okay? However, once you have repented, no matter your background, wherever you're from, you are the same, one in Christ. The good news. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than the kingdom of God on earth. Seeing people like us drop our agendas for one cause, that is Jesus Christ. Years ago, I remember I was in Africa, in the most remote part of Africa, hanging out with a Maasai tribe. The guys with the super long necks, they jump really high and I couldn't. Just hanging out with them. It was an amazing day. It was probably one of the most beautiful days. I mean, completely different worlds. This Aussie somehow in the middle of Africa with this Maasai tribe and there's this guy and you know, culturally, it's so different. This one man has seven wives and he's got all, he's looking after them all. He's got like 45 kids and, you know, it's this crazy thing. And I'm like trying to compute it and put it in my mind. And, and he's a Christian. He's following Jesus. <clears throat> culturally, it's okay. And I'm like, I don't understand all this stuff. Uh, but until this moment, because I was, I was trying to bring it all together and I had my own opinions about certain things. And then we got to a place at the end of the day where someone put out an acoustic guitar and played a worship song. And in their language, they knew the same song that I knew. And we sang together. And we celebrated Jesus together. And I experienced the kingdom. I've never experienced it before. You see, Jesus was saying to these people in this synagogue in this very first moment, don't you understand the woman of Saddam? Don't you understand the Syrian man? Ever since the beginning of time, God's heart was for all people. And I've come to establish it. I've come to establish it. All week, I felt so strongly in my spirit. For you to understand that the kingdom doesn't allow for segregation. It doesn't allow for cliques. It doesn't allow for rejection. It's an open invite to anyone who wants to come in. To anyone who repents, leaves their old life behind and decides to follow Jesus. You are welcome. I mean, it's brought joy in my heart this week as I've grasped how beautiful the kingdom can look. Maybe you walked into this church and you're like, am I welcome here? You are. But church, let's be a church that also has the same heart that says you're welcome here. There is always room at the table for you. Let's not create life groups that are cliques. Let's not create weekly connections that are exclusive, hidden, comfort places, safety. Jesus was setting up a kingdom that said, if you want in, you get in. Oh, but they've got a different thought process to me. We clash with this sort of idea and clash with that kind of idea and the world's messed up and I need to surround myself with like-minded people. That isn't kingdom. It's not kingdom. It's not, not what Jesus came to create. 
If you don't know Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, and I feel this so clearly, I felt it so strongly. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We understand the yoke that goes on the oxen and we think, is that a trap? No, 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 no. It's to guide you and it's light with Jesus. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. In a world where everyone is looking to get offended by, dis- by difference, my prayers are that we would pray that we would be like Jesus. That our prayers would be like the prayers that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that when people enter the doors of our church, they experience the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. A place where we as people welcome anyone from whatever background that we'll also live a life of righteousness, that it won't just be words, but action as well. Like the last three weeks, we would actually respond to Jesus' teaching. That we would not be a church that chooses our own adventure of faith. We take what we like, but we leave the things in our heart. You'll miss it if you do that. Give it all to Jesus. pray as we wrap up this series four weeks we discussed it I pray that we will be quick to forgive like Jesus commanded that we would go in pursuit of holiness with our bodies that we will exceed expectation and live a life of going the extra mile like Jesus like Josiah preached about last week but more importantly that we like Jesus will invite people into our lives with the same love that he poured out for us there will always be room for others in our world. We've talked about it over the last four weeks, how Jesus came to fulfill the law and commandments. You know, before Jesus left his disciples to go and continue, and like he he had to leave his disciples, he told them to go and build the kingdom, right? You're going to do it. In John 13, he simply states this. in in, In verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Elevation. For the Redlands, when they see you, they get a glimpse of the kingdom. You will either give them a glimpse of a kingdom that they know they're welcome in or that they're not. The world will know us, by the way. We love one another. Let's never forget that when Jesus said that God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, He said, God so loved the world, everyone, every background, every political difference, You see, the world we live in is broken because of this. And Jesus said, I'm going to do it different. And you're welcome to be part of it. You're welcome to enter the kingdom of God.
no matter where you've come from today, I don't know if you've just entered in for the first time, hear this. God loves you and you are welcome in His kingdom. You are welcome in His kingdom. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving a glimpse, us a glimpse into what your kingdom is like. Father, yes, you call us to a a life that is different to the world we live in and sometimes it's tough. But God, we thank you. You came for everyone. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We believe this message will inspire you into greater intimacy with Jesus relationship with others, and influence in your world. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit us online at www.elevationchurch.com.au or alternatively, pop into our Redlands location.